Hey, good morning, Fellowship family. It's really good to have you here as we worship Jesus. And uh, as we continue in this series called, called Follower, what does a follower of Jesus look like? And we kind of are simple in our definition because a follower of Jesus follows Jesus, right? That's simple. But what does that look like? So today we're going to be looking at this concept called compassion. Compassion is really aligning your heart with the heart of God. To see what he sees, feel what he feels, and do what he wants you to do. And I think as you look at the world around you, there is a need for compassion. We don't hear about compassion in the news. We don't hear compassion in the political debate. There's a lot of sound bites. There's a lot of stereotypes. It's easy to choose one side and to kind of lift up that side and why you're right and why everyone else is wrong. What would it look like to live with compassion? Well, I want to encourage you that I think it's wiser for us to pull back from the national debate and think about the next person God puts in front of you. The next person God puts in front of you. What would that look like? Because I believe a follower of Jesus is called to respond to the world around you with compassion To do this and to kind of make the point for the person right in front of you, let's go to the scriptures and let's look at Luke chapter 10, where Jesus had people in front of him. And we're going to see what he does with them, but we're also going to show us, it's also going to show us where he's pointing our eyes, our hearts, our hands to respond to the needs of people already in front of us. Compassion. Take a look with me to uh, Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Here it is. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that very road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave gave them to the innkeeper, saying, "'Take care of him.'" And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asked then, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. 
Now, to give you a little bit more uh, understanding of what, what was happening here, the lawyer was someone who wasn't just a, uh, a person who de- dealt with like the political realm or, or enforcing laws from the Roman Empire. This was a guy who was an expert in the law. And so most likely when he came to Jesus, he had something like this on. This is called a phylactery. And it was to be worn on his forehead and on his forearm. And so he would have one of these... And it was most likely a, a wooden box. This is a play one. It's not real. But inside that box were parchments. And written on those parchments were portions of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, Exodus chapter uh, 16 or 13, excuse me. And they would have different writings of the scriptures. And to symbolize the importance of the word of God, they would take it and they would literally bind it on them. And would bind it with these leather straps on their arm, their forearm, like this. And then they would take it and put it, just so that they would never forget it. They would take it and they would bind it on their forehead. How's that look? (laughs) So when the lawyer comes to Jesus, he goes, hey, teacher, what do I got to do to get in? This is how he looked. And Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Do you know what happened? He did this. Because <laughs> that's where it was written. It was written right here. And it was written right here. He was bound to it. Teacher, what do you see? And he prayed twice a day. He would pray a Hebrew prayer. Here's the prayer. And you'll say it with me. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai, get ready for this, Echad. Good, I got one for you from that one, okay? And what it means is Shema, here, here. Here, Israel, Yisrael, Adonai, the Lord, Elohenu, our God, the Lord, Adonai, Echad, one. He's one. Our God is one. And they would pray this twice a day. And, and if you are an Orthodox Jew or know an Orthodox Jew, you pray this twice a day. And you go to a place of prayer and you wear this. So you bind God's word on your heart. And then you would read things like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So he knew it. He knew it. It was right there. And it kind of gives you a picture of the sense of humor that Jesus had. What do you read it? Well, uh, okay. How do you read it? That's what we should do. And But what Jesus was really saying is it's not just what you know. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. Because you can have the word bound all around you, and you can get tangled in it if you're not careful. And so there's a few things I want to talk to you about. When Jesus says to love people, he's not just asking you to learn about loving people. He's not just asking you to learn about him. He's asking you to love them, to actually do what the word says. That's really important. So let's take a look at the difference between knowing and doing. First of all, knowing answers the question. The teacher or the, or the uh, lawyer came up to Jesus and he was looking to take him down. He wasn't looking to build him up. And so he put him to the test and he comes with a question. What must I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? How good do I have to be before I get in? And Jesus goes, you know it, you know it, it's right here. How do you read it? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You're right. Check the box. You answered the question. But you're missing it. Because when he asked the question about who's my neighbor, Jesus says, you meet a need. And over and over, he says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Knowing also informs you, but doing transforms you. Think about this. If I were to go home and my wife prepares lunch and she does the dishes and she does the laundry and I sit on the couch in the den and I go, honey, I'm just thinking how much I love you. I just think about how much I love you. And she goes, I could use some help over here. And I go, I can't help you, but boy, do I sure love you. No, you miss the point. We can think about loving God, but until we jump into loving people that God loves... It's not going to move to transformation. It's just going to be information. I think this is the tragedy of the evangelical church in America, is that we just think that being mature is one more Bible study and how much we know, how much we memorize the scriptures, what we truly understand about grace and how pure the gospel needs to be in our minds, that we miss it, we miss it when we aren't loving people the way God has loved us. We're high on information. We're low on transformation. And so the other thing about knowing and doing is that knowing is personal and doing is relational. By personal, what the man wanted to do when he said, who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. We all think that our answers justify ourselves. We all think our theological direction or our knowledge of the scriptures or our strong, you know, sound bites for what we think is most important in our walk with Jesus. Those are all personal. But when we love someone, that's relational. And God wants to move us from just feeling loved by him to letting others see and feel that love through us. It's relational. God is always going to move you from yourself to others. That's a very important concept in our walk with him. Knowing also checks the box. Jesus said two times, you're correct. You're correct. You answered that question and you answered that question. It was like he put the guy to the test and the guy passed the test, but he failed the walk. Doing changes the heart. We're going to talk about the heart in just a little bit. But I just think that that's where when we love people who no one else is loving, when you love someone who's difficult to love, not the ones who are easy, those don't count. Well, they they do. But I mean, it's just not as, as transformative as those who are difficult to love. And so what I'm trying to craft here is a definition of what's a mature follower of Jesus. And here's my definition as I read this parable and studied this week. According to Jesus, the mature believer is someone who loves easily. Loves easily. Think about that. That's the person who forgives you first, not last. The first person who doesn't vent on Facebook, wait for you to come crawling, asking for forgiveness, or humiliates you. It's a person who, even before they talk to you, they've set you free from their revenge. They've set you free from being critical. They've set you free from being cynical in your church or in, in your ministry. These are people who come and love you. And that's what you remember about people. Boy, when I did them wrong, they loved me anyway. When I didn't deserve it. They gave me grace. Those are the transforming people. Those are the relationships in our lives that really make a difference. And those are, just to be quite honest, those are the people who reflect most the love that Jesus gives us. So who's my neighbor? 
Who's your neighbor that Jesus is asking you to love? Well, it's the very same neighbor who fell among robbers and, and basically was, was stripped and beaten and left for dead. We can basically assume that Jesus is saying the people in front of you who have needs. Anyone in front of you is your neighbor. That's your neighbor. Look around you right now. Look to the person to the left and the right. Might even want to get a, just a neck stretch and look at the person behind you, okay? That's your neighbor. And you know what? We all look pretty good today. God bless you. You look so good. That's my Irish Christmas celebration happening right there. Um, but, but I mean, God has bought in and, and we can make things look pretty good. Like we're, we've got things together, but we all have needs. We all have needs. And a neighbor is someone who has a need that God has placed in front of you. Do you realize this is not by chance? This is part of God's plan. And it excites me to think if we all caught on to the vision of people who loved people in front of us easily, if we were really mature believers and we loved people easily, Shawnee County would be a different place. Shawnee County has a 14% poverty rate. 14%. With all the people that God is going to entrust in this room four times throughout this weekend, it excites me to think if we could get a glimpse of what Jesus is talking about here and we move from knowing to doing, I mean, if we just applied what we know, 10% of what we know about the love of God in our lives, 10%, I mean, that's, it's not even passing the test, but it's 10%, we could make a significant, meaningful difference in this county for the glory of Jesus and heaven would smile and earth rejoice because the love of God is winning in the city. That really excites me about this. And so that neighbor is anyone. And you know what? The neighbor we help is never going to be able to pay us back. And there are probably people other people have passed by. But they're our neighbor. And they're the people God has placed right in front of us. So let's talk about this because this is important. What keeps us away and what draws us near to the neighbor that God has placed right in front of us? Well, let's take a look at the parable because it, Jesus kind of reveals some of the issues going on with two of the three people who saw this man, same person, in need, right in front of three people, two responded poorly, one responded well. Look at the first thing. The first thing that keeps us away from our neighbors are self-righteous eyes. How do you view people who are already in front of you? Do you know I hear that criticism all the time? And I hear from Christians. I don't like Topeka. I don't like the people here. What does God think about that? How does God view people already in front of you? What do his eyes see? He probably sees in you an angle of arrogance, an angle of self-righteousness. I'm better than Topeka. I believe I should be in Kansas City or Dallas because that's the person I, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to belittle that, but that can be the temptation. We might not think Topeka's hip, but it's the people that we can help here. It's the people God has placed in front of us. And God has us here. It's not by chance. It's not by mistake. You are here and God has placed. Don't miss the opportunity because here's the deal. Whenever I view myself higher than everyone around me, I will view everyone lower than me. Whatever I view in theology, if I think I have the purest theology and the gospel is glorified in my life, 
And I don't think someone preaches like me. I will look down on them every time. If I think that I'm more righteous than most people, I will look down on most people. If I think I'm a better father than most fathers, I will look down on every father because I'm better. I'm better. When you pass by someone in need, you go, whew, glad that's not me. That's self-righteous eyes. That's self-righteous eyes. Because it doesn't put you into their story. It keeps you away. As long as you view yourself higher than everyone else, you will look down on everyone else. We can't afford that. Because here's the deal. Out of anyone in creation and in the universe who could look down on you, Jesus stepped down into our reality. He took on flesh and he lived a perfect life. See, a follower of Jesus cannot have self-righteous eyes. You just can't because it doesn't reflect the person who loved you and gave himself for you. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, this is why this is so important because the way you look on others will reflect the one who's looked upon you. And we, as a follower of Jesus, we believe it's not that our works are good enough to get us in. It's not because I'm a better person than most of the people out there. It's because I'm a sinner and I actually deserve hell and damnation. But Jesus saw me. He took compassion on me and he lived perfectly for me. He died on a cross for me and he rose again the third day. And that same Jesus gives me life in his name. If I trust in his work for me, he saves me. It's his work, not my own. And that humbles me. And that causes me to look at everyone else as people just like me in need of being saved, in need of life, in need of love of Jesus in our lives. We have no right to have self-righteous eyes. Another thing, and and by the way, if you take a look at that passage, just take a look at it it if it's in front of you right now. Jesus causes eyes, he kind of points out the eyes to to show a, a, a heart problem. But the priest... The priest was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. What's important about Jerusalem? Jerusalem was where the temple was. Jerusalem was where a priest was employed. It's where he was serving. He was right at the center of worship. He was right at the center of reading the word. He was right at the center of forgiving people for their sins. He was right in the center of the activity and the worship of God. And yet he leaves and he sees and nothing happens. So he flees. He passed by on the other side. That's a great line. It even rhymes. He passed by on the other side because his eyes kept it as facts, as problems, as issues, not as a heart issue. And just so happens that there also was a Levite. And the Levite also served. Matter of fact, his lineage demanded that he serve at the temple. His Father and grandfather and great-grandfather probably served in the temple also. And so he had a picture that this is serving God. This is what, what loving God is all about. It's worship at the temple. But when he hit the road, it didn't apply. Can I get in your grill? Does, does this really apply? Because what happens in here, I love it. And I look forward to what happens in here every week. 
but it's got to move beyond here. So when you hit the road, you don't pass by on the other side. See, I went to Israel this past year and I saw an ancient road that was traveled on. It wasn't a 12 lane highway. Okay. It didn't have a median in between. It was probably about four feet wide. And so to pass by a man that was half dead, both the priest and the Levite had to do this. They didn't want to step in it. Their eyes prevented them from interacting with the heart. What do you see when you see the world? Man, I've heard a lot of things. That's the problem with our world today. Or a person of a different race. That's, they're just taking control here. We say those things. And we say those with self-righteous eyes. And they keep us away from the heart. And we can look at all the statistics and we can impress people by how much we know about poverty or how much we know about societal issues. But the reality comes down. We have to humble our eyes to see and to ask God to show us things he sees, realities. Don't ever be afraid of reality, even though how broken they are. Ask for God to show you what he sees. Secondly, self-protected hearts. We see it with the first two again. Because their eyes saw what they saw, and they didn't want to be unclean with someone who was half dead, they didn't want to get involved with someone who had needs, they passed by on the other side. What your eyes see will always direct your heart. Because why? you got to live with yourself. And so you build a case real quickly where your heart's not involved and you move to facts and figures so you don't have to get into emotions. You're afraid to feel the brokenness of the needs of this world. And I'll be honest, they are overwhelming and they are messy and they aren't always fun and they're costly. So it's real easy not to engage the heart because you're afraid of what it might cost you, time, energy, finances. Don't be afraid to interact with your heart. Guard your heart, for out of it is the wellspring of life, the scriptures call us. We need to be people who not only see it, but feel it. But self-protected hearts will always keep us away. Beware of sound bites in your life that protect your heart from feeling the love of God for people. And then self-preserved hands. They do nothing. The priest and the Levite stop. They see it and they pass by on the other side. Nothing. Nothing results. No change. See, they had the word of God in here. They didn't have it in here. And they didn't have it in here. So, if these things keep us away, self-righteous eyes, self-protected hearts, self-preserved hands. If these keep us away, what brings us in? Well, before I answer that question, let me just share who stopped. Jesus said, but a Samaritan. That's a significant, those are significant two words, but, which means they were different. He was different. A Samaritan. Who was a Samaritan? It was someone who kind of had the lineage 
of uh, the, the Jewish background in their lives, but they had kind of corrupted it with worshiping other gods in the area. So they kind of picked and choose which god they were going to serve, and they kept Judaism with it. And it offended the typical Jew, especially the leadership. They would go, what in the world? They're, they're not a true believer. They're not really the people of Israel. And so they hated Samaritans. It's one of the things earlier in Jesus's ministry, when he came across a Samaritan woman and he talked to her, that was a major event because Jews hated Samaritans. Matter of fact, when traveling through Samaria, a Jew would go around. They would walk twice the distance so they wouldn't step foot on Samaritan soil. So much they hated them. So it would be like Jesus telling the story here in 2017. He goes, Joe Hishman just preached a sermon and he drove to 10th and Wanamaker and someone was stranded with four flat tires and he passed by on the other side and got on and went home. And then David Hinkle, after serving the Lord on a Sunday, he passed by on the other side too. But a Mormon stopped and helped him and got a tune-up for the car, put on four new tires. Matter of fact, he fixed the engine and transmission. Now, which of these proved to be a neighbor? (laughs) See, the people were going, wow, that's the problem with our religious leadership. It's all about them. I understand the priest and the Levite. Make it one of us then. True Jews, true believers that responded. And Jesus goes, goes, but a Samaritan. Everyone goes, man, come on. Because we don't think we're as bad as we think. We don't think we're self-obsessed as Jesus sees the heart. So what draws us near? Let's take a look at what draws us near because the same thing that draws us near keeps us away. Now we got to have eyes to see needs. And that's where you see the Samaritan. He sees and he sees the need as he's traveling from point A to point B, as he journeys. There's a second thing, to see the needs. Do you ever pray, God, today? Would you open my eyes to the needs of people you put in front of me? That's a scary prayer because it might just cost you time and energy. It might just cost you money. I don't know. Those things, it'll show you how much of a God those things are to you by how, how uh, threatened you feel by offering those to God. God, Help me see what you see today in people you place in front of me. Secondly, hearts to feel their pain. This has made the Samaritan a different person because he not only saw it, it shows this response. And when he saw him, it says, he had compassion. If you have your Bibles open, circle that word compassion because that was the difference. His eyes, when they refused to make a judgment, and they, they, they had compassion. When, his, when the eyes mixed with the heart, there was compassion. And that's the tipping point. That's the tipping point. It's what God does in your heart that actually moves your hands. And that's why we must guard, guard the heart. God, we need to pray, work in my heart today so that when I see a need, you will move me to compassion That's a scary prayer also because God might just move you. And some of us don't like to lose control of our emotions. Some of us don't like to be emotional. I don't. I don't like to cry. I mean, I don't. I don't like to be broken. I'd like to keep my life positive, cheerful, on the up and up. But but how will those broken by sin, broken by life, 
exploited by others, how will they see the love of God if we don't love them? Because they aren't reading their Bible. They're looking for help. That's where the gospel, uh, the good actions of the gospel balance the good news of the gospel. And that's why we meet needs in our community as we share the good news with them. Hearts, we've got to have hearts that feel their pain. So I remember several years ago, I got a call from Brett Durbin, who was at that time just started Trash Mountain Project, and they do ministry to people who live on trash dumps. And um, they provide education and food for children and uh, just build up and, and pull people off of the trash dump and equip them for a life that's independent and, and centered on Christ. And he said, you need to go and see what I saw. I go, I don't think I need to. He goes, you need to. So I got my passport updated. And right after Father's Day, after I celebrated Father's Day lunch with my family, I hopped on a plane and we flew that next Monday morning into the Dominican Republic. And he took me to this trash dump and it had just poured rain. So everything was mud. I mean, the pickup truck we were in got stuck on the way there. And so I'm pushing. You know what you do happens to you when you push a pickup truck that's spinning tires? Okay, so here down was mud. And it dried. So I was kind of walking like like this. And he says, I want you to see some of these homes. So I walked into the first house. It was a 15 by 15 home. At the doorway was this little boy and he was malnourished. He was completely naked and had the distended stomach. And he was sitting there like this, smiling at me. And when I saw him, God broke my heart. He broke my heart because I had just had dinner with my three boys at a table that had plenty of food the night before. And here I am within 48 hours of that lunch. Here I am seeing poverty, seeing need. And I walked into their house and they were so gracious. And I said, where do you, where do you sleep? How many live here? Single. Five people live there. Where do you guys sleep? A key right there on that, on this mattress that they had pulled off of the dump and then put this foam topper that they found somewhere on that queen size bed. And they had five people sleeping on that bed. And as I looked on that bed, it was just swarming with flies. There wasn't a screen on the windows and a mud floor. It had just rained and a stream was running right through the house in the front door, out the back door. And I was just thinking, and they live like this. And then as I saw that, I saw what Trash Mountain Project was doing, and God broke my heart. And I just said, we've got to go. And I thought, I've got to get as many people here to see what I see and feel what I feel so we can be a part of this solution. And how many of you, how many of you have gone to Dominican Republic and been a part of that? And you've seen that. And it's grown over the years. We've had over 100 fellowship uh, FBCers go there and serve in that community. My son, James, went there his sophomore year of high school, and he came back and said, I want to be in medical care. I want to do that because I want to help people like this. That God moves his whole purpose to it. But it started with me going and me watching and God moving my heart and using whatever influence I had to let people see what I see and feel what I feel. It, it changes things when we have hearts to feel pain because that moves, that moves hands to serve a response. What does the Samaritan do? He comes near. Everyone else passed by on the other side. He comes near. He looks. There it is. There's a first aid kit. 
It's called oil and wine. And he took care of him, bound up the wounds. He put him on the animal, present day, put him in his car. You know the car you just waxed? The leather seats you just conditioned yesterday? Okay, that's the car God wants you to use for help. That's the car. I had a friend who always kept different meals in his trunk, in a cooler or sandwiches, so that when someone he saw needed a meal or needed money, he could give a meal to. And he just said, my trunk's ready. It's ready. To be, my hands are ready to serve in whatever way. This Samaritan put him on his animal, took him to an inn, and paid, ready for this, here, right, 2017, his medical expenses. Here it is. I'll put it up. I'll take care of him. You know those things that have no end and no elevation to the cost of medical care these days? He made sure he got it. And he said, if you spend more, I'll repay you. It was sacrificial. The guy could never pay him back. But in doing so, guess what he said, showed? You have a God who loves you, who's going to take care of you. And he's using me to do it. Folks, we have hands that serve a response. So the same things that keep us away, what we see, how we feel, and how we respond, the same things can draw us near. When we see like God sees, and we take on the feeling of what God feels, and we love them and serve them the way Jesus loves and serves us, guess what happens? Jesus becomes greater. Love grows deeper. And you learn how to love deeper. No doubt about it. This changes us. This transforms us. So what could this look like if we responded to this? Well, I don't know what it's going to look like in your life, but I can tell you, I got a story. Because um, earlier in September, Rob and Renee Hunt, I don't know if you know Rob Hunt, but he serves as a mentor in the Highcrest community. and mentors a, a family in poverty and encourages them and just comes alongside of them. They were vacationing. They were vacationing in, on the island of St. Thomas in the Caribbean. And uh, as they were there, they had met up with an old friend who uh, worked on this property at, on St. Thomas. And her name was Quincia. And Quincia was seven and a half months pregnant. And she had a little daughter with her. And they started hearing reports while they were vacationing about a hurricane, Hurricane Irma, that was building and increasing in force to a Category 5. You may have seen satellite photos of this hurricane. But that's the whole island of Cuba that you kind of see in an outline. And that's the tip of Florida. This is how massive that Category 5 hurricane was that hit. Now, I understand it. We can't see it. We live in Kansas. It's hurricane-proof, right? And tsunami-proof. We're equidistant from all coasts. If one hits us, everyone's gone, right? (laughs) But they were very aware because they were there. And they could see it. And since they knew someone, they could feel it. So they hop on a plane four days before Hurricane Irma hit St. Thomas. Still before that, they were unsure where it was tracking. They get home and they follow the news reports and immediately Rob starts to plan. I get a call on Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning. He goes, Joe, I need a twin size bed. You got one? I said, yes, you can have mine. He goes, but, but what's going on? He goes, well, I got a lady that we met while we were vacationing in St. Thomas, and um, 
She's seven and a half months pregnant. I know when this hurricane hits, she's not going to have good medical care. So I'm bringing her back here to the States. I go, really? Nothing's flying out of St. Thomas right now. Nothing's flying. How are you going to do that? He goes, I'm going to charter a plane for her. I'm going to get her on a rescue plane. I'm going to bring her daughter here. And I need the twin size bed for her daughter. So I'll, I'll bring it. So he starts planning. The hurricane, after it hits, nothing's happening. I get a text on Sunday morning. This is happening, what he texts me. Quincia and Quinciana are on a rescue plane. They're flying to Puerto Rico. As you know, Puerto Rico was just hit by the same hurricane. Everything was knocked out. They had to stay there four days. And he got another plane to fly her to the United States. And then from the early, from the, from Florida into Kansas City, he picked her up. They are now here and she will have her baby here in Kansas and he is covering their costs. Just this past week, my wife went with their small group, because they're in a small group, and they threw a, a, a baby shower for Quincia, Quincia, for this little baby that's coming into the world at any time. I don't know what God is going to do with you. This is overwhelming to me. I don't know that I could afford a flight for someone. I've, I don't know. I could afford a trip to St. Thomas. But I, I do know, I do know that God's going to put someone in front of me. And I don't want you to think about the final solution. I want you to think about the first solution. What can you do? It might mean a meal. It might mean a sandwich. It might mean an electric bill. Do you realize there's people in the high crest community that have a hose going from one house to the other because water is turned off and there's children in that home? I don't know what God or who God is going to put in front of you, but are you willing to be a neighbor? Are you willing to have your eyes, your heart, and your hands respond like Jesus would? So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pray a prayer committing your eyes and your heart and your hands to the Lord. I'm asking you to get in a posture of prayer right now. Just bow your heads and put your hands right now. Put your hands on your eyes. Just cover your eyes for a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are our eyes. Help us and direct them to see what you see in this world. Move our eyes to people and places of need. And keep our eyes from being self-righteous, arrogant, prideful. Humble our eyes to see who you want us to see. Now take one hand and put it on your heart. Can you feel it beating? Yeah, Heavenly Father, this is our heart. You have given us a heart for you. And so we thank you that you have taught our heart. You have inspired our hearts. Now, Lord, move our hearts towards compassion so that when we see what you see, we would interact. Help us not to be afraid of the emotional response that we see of needs. Guard our hearts from being overwhelmed and guide our hearts to doing the first thing, to thinking of the first thing. And now your hands. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Lord, these are our hands. Uh, You've given us skill, ability, resources, time, energy. We lift up our hands. May they be used for you, for your work, for your purposes, that they would bring glory to you. Keep them open and available for your work. Now you can move your hands down. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone here. You know them. You love them. 
You came and lived and died and rose again for each one. May we be people who love you and love others the way you love us. It's in Jesus' name and for his glory that I pray. Amen.